Good morning, church. Good to see you all. If you're watching online, glad to have you watching with us. Hope we'll have you uh, visit and worship with us in person here in the near future. If you have your Bible, uh, turn to Colossians chapter 2. As Pastor Matt said, we are in Colossians, uh, but you'll notice maybe a, a different uh, sermon title or series title behind us. We've, I mentioned last week that we're transitioning in the book of Colossians, right? We're, we're moved from the first half to the second half where we're getting into the more practical applications of what the Apostle Paul has been uh, teaching us. And so we're calling this second half renewed, as, uh, with the idea being that as we focus in on Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us, it renews our walk with him, how we move through our lives day by day by day. And so that's uh, the reason for kind of the shift and the change uh, here in that, because there's a shift and a change uh, in the text. I, uh, as we get going, I have a question for you. Have you ever felt out of place and inadequate in a situation? Have you ever been in a spot where you felt like you did not measure up, like you weren't good enough, you didn't cut it, you didn't belong, right? Think, I, think about maybe where that happens for you. I'll tell you that for me, the place that that happens most severely is on the golf course. Several of you, since I've been here, have asked, uh, hey, do you play golf? Would you like to play golf sometime? Do you play golf? And uh, my answer to that is complicated um, because I do own a set of golf clubs. I do enjoy going to golf courses and swinging those clubs at golf balls in the general direction of a hole. But I don't think it's fair to call what I do playing golf. Um, it's, quite frankly, a disgrace to the game of golf, how, how I go about it. I'm not any good at it. I've, I've, I've tried. I've even taken some swing lessons in the past. I've watched all the YouTube videos, um, and I'm just not good. And I've had to come to grips with that, even though I enjoy doing it. I enjoy the fellowship that comes from it. It's fun. I'm not any good at all. Uh, for whatever reason, when I line up to hit a golf ball, uh, if I'm aiming this way, invariably, when I swing, the ball starts going that way and then quickly decides to go that way, right? And it happens all the time. And some of you golf players out there, you immediately think you can fix my swing. You cannot. People have tried. So just, just you can't. So what I'll do sometimes, because I know this always happens, is if I'm aiming this way, I'll, I'll turn and aim this way, right? And if you play golf, you know how this goes. And you aim this way because you know that whenever I hit the ball, it always curves this way. But let me tell you, if I aim to the left of the hole and I swing, you will never see a straighter shot in your life. Go all the way to the other hole, opposite of the one I'm aiming for. And there's nothing worse than playing golf when you're not good at golf than playing golf with someone who's good at it. Because it makes you feel just awful. They just line up and swing and just, it just goes straight. And it's like voodoo magic and you don't know how they did it. And you just feel less than, feel inadequate, feel like you don't measure up. And this feeling of inadequacy or or not measuring up, it, this, this can happen in, in more serious ways in our lives too, though, can it? It can happen in our faith specifically. As we uh, look at this book of Colossians uh, uh, and we talk about what it means to follow Jesus, I'm willing to bet, if you're in the room today and you're a Christian, that there's been times when you felt like you didn't measure up in the faith. You looked around at other people, maybe in your life group or in your church or in your friend group who are Christians, and the way they live out their faith, it looks like, man, I don't, I don't cut it. They are several rungs up the ladder higher than I am. They are way closer to the Lord than I am. They know him better than I am. They are better Christians than me, and I don't measure up. I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't feel like the Lord's maybe even pleased with me in the way I approach my faith. Our text this morning in Colossians chapter 2 
the Apostle Paul has something to say to you and to me for when we don't feel like we measure up, when we don't feel like we're good enough or that we have what it takes. And he's going to show us, hopefully, some ways that we shouldn't try to measure up and then, as we conclude, how it is that we can be who Jesus calls us to be and who we can be proud of as Christians. And so if you have your Bible, look with me at Colossians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 16 and read through the end of the chapter. The Apostle Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from which the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Verse 20, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have shown us what it means to follow you. You have shown us how we can honor you with our lives. You have shown us how we can be close to you. And as we look at your word this morning, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us if we need to be challenged. You would rebuke us if we need to be rebuked. God, but you would also build us up and give us great confidence in our faith, not because of how we live it out, but because of what you've done for us on the cross. And so would you speak to us this morning through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is an interesting text, and, and frankly, if you were to just give this a surface glance, it may look like a text that doesn't apply a whole lot to you. And so there may be a temptation to go, this doesn't mean anything to me. I don't struggle with any of these things. This is not me at all. But I think, hopefully, we'll see underneath the surface of the specific issues that Paul is talking about here, something that's probably common and universal to everybody here. And so as we dive in, a little context for us, right? Remember where we've been in our study of Colossians last week, we said that nothing on earth should captivate our attention except for Jesus, that he and he alone should mesmerize us. We should be focused on him, that we shouldn't be distracted by other philosophies or approaches to religion, but instead we should be captivated by Jesus. And Paul says, hey, I want you to see to it that you stay focused on Christ. And first, verse 8 was the kind of the big thesis verse for last week. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so we're encouraged that because of who Jesus is and what he's done, we shouldn't let other philosophies take hold of us. And that's kind of the backdrop that the Apostle Paul is speaking for, or speaking to here. That word, therefore, in verse 16. Good Bible students know that whenever you see the word therefore, you should always ask, what is it? Therefore. Look at you guys. What's it there for? It's a connecting word. It connects us to this previous section. Okay, All the English teachers in the world are very happy right now. 
What's it there for? We're, we're, to, we're to connect what we're talking about today with what we talked about last week, this idea of who Jesus is and what he's done for, and not letting ourselves be taken captive by different philosophies. And that's kind of the, 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 the context for this. And if you take another step back in the book of Colossians, remember what the entire book is about. We've said that, that the entire book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul has said, go back to chapter 1, verse 28, that the entire goal of him writing this, the entire goal of his ministry is that he might present the people of God mature in Christ. That's what he said. He said, I want to present you mature in Christ. That's the question he's trying to answer. What does it mean to be mature as a Christian? And so that's the question we'll ask of you today. What does it mean to be mature, right? What does it mean to be a mature believer? And we're going to see three things if you're a note taker. The first two are not the correct answer. And then lastly, we'll look at what Paul says is the right answer. And so if we ask the question, how do we become mature as Christians? The first answer is not through the law. It's not through the law. Look at verse 16 and 17 again. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink with regard to festivals, new moons, or a Sabbath. Why? These are a shadow, he says, of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. The Bible here says uh, new moons and festivals and food and drink and all the things. What, it's, what he's talking about, what the scripture is talking about, is the Old Testament, Old Covenant, Jewish religion of finding and working your way and following rules to please God. It's this uh, Old Testament, Old Covenant way of approaching God, where God handed down a law, a code to his people and says, if you're going to approach me, if we're going to have a relationship, if we're going to have fellowship together, here are the things you must do. These are the foods you can eat, the things you can't eat, the things you can drink, the things you can't drink, how you must prepare the stuff you're going to eat. Here are the festivals you must celebrate throughout the calendar, and you must do them exactly the way I prescribe that you do them. Here's the Sabbath that you must keep, and here's, the, here's all of this stuff. There's this long list, over 600 laws in the Old Testament that were given for approaching God. And what's happening here is in Colossae, is some people are saying that, hey, for you as Christians, if you're going to be a faithful follower of Jesus, you don't just have to trust Christ for salvation, you also have to follow all those Old Testament laws. You got to do both. We need to add to your faith in Jesus all of this rule following, this Jewish uh, legal system that we have. And so that's what's going on. People are being swept away by this. People are being captivated by this philosophy, by this way of thinking. And, and this, this is a common problem in, in, in the early church. You'll read about this problem in all throughout the New Testament where people weren't, weren't really sure what is the relationship between the Jewish faith and the Christian faith. And it's, it's an understandable mistake, right? The, the Christian faith flows out of the Jewish faith. If you think about it, the Jewish faith promises a coming Messiah who will come and rescue uh, the people of God. And, and there's not a lot of clarity in this season on whether or not we need to continue to be Jewish or is this a new thing, right? And so people are confused by this. But the Bible and Jesus himself are overwhelmingly clear that as believers, we are no longer bound by the Old Testament law. We're no longer bound by the Old Testament law. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but listen to what he said I did come to do. He said, I came to fulfill it. So when Jesus comes and he lives this perfect life, Jesus obeys every single law and command that was written for the Jewish people. He obeys it and he does it perfectly and he does it for us. 
And so in being perfect, in fulfilling the law, we are exempt from it. It's done away with. We no longer are bound by it. Romans chapter 8, verse 3, the Apostle Paul talking about the same thing. He says, for God has done, it's past tense, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. It's already been accomplished. What was the law meant to do? It was meant to help God's people connect with the Lord, that fellowship with God. Paul says Jesus has already done that. There's no need for us to follow this Old Testament religious code. This doesn't mean that lawlessness should abound. This doesn't mean you can live however you want. In fact, you can go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, where Jesus says, I've fulfilled the law, and you just keep reading at what God calls Christians to do and the, the, the way Christians are to live. It's just as difficult, and I would argue even more difficult to live up to than the Old Testament law. So it doesn't mean there's no parameters for how to live, but the specific Old Testament laws outlined in books like Exodus and Leviticus no longer apply to Christians. And yet people at Colossae were insisting that Christians continue to keep these laws in order to live out their faith. And by doing that, they were making those who weren't feel like they weren't good enough. Those who didn't follow all the rules, those who didn't follow all the laws, who didn't do the festivals and the Sabbaths, they felt like they weren't good enough. I met a person one time, it was a person in a previous church I served, who genuinely believed this was true. Uh, he, he genuinely believed that to be a Christian, you had to follow these Old Testament rules. And a very kind man, very nice person, easy to get along with, easy to talk to, great husband, great father, um, faithful in church, showed up every week. But he was deceived by this line of thinking that the Colossian, Colossian church seems to be falling for. And so he wore the tassels on his clothes, and he observed a strict Sabbath routine and only ate kosher foods, and he did all of the things. And I can't tell you how many hours I spent myself and another pastor in the church office with him, pleading with him, showing him from the scriptures why this isn't true, this isn't how we're supposed to do it, this isn't what was going on, and he could not be convinced. And some people argued that, hey, why don't you just leave the guy alone? Just let him do what he wants. Let him keep living that way. Let him keep just being wrong in this area. It's not a big deal. But I would argue that it's a huge deal because of what it says about the gospel. When we say that I must continue to fulfill the law, we're saying that Jesus didn't do a good enough job for it. And we're setting ourselves up in the place of Jesus. We are doing what Jesus came to do. And thereby, not with our words, but with our actions, declaring his sacrifice on the cross to be insufficient for us. And this man, nice guy, again, loved the guy to death. But he was in a life group, and, and people were in awe of how much he knew about the Bible. He knew the Old Testament very well. In awe of how much he knew about the Scriptures, and they looked up to him and respected him, and people began to feel like they weren't as good a Christian as he was because they weren't following the rules that he was following. And what's taking place here in our text was taking place in our church. I was harming people's walk with the Lord. The story doesn't matter the, that it resolved. He ended up finding a, a church that allowed him to believe that, and he left our church, and I think that's for the best for everybody. And the reality is I don't meet a ton of Judaizers. That's what the, the word for that is when you, when you try to make the Christian faith Jewish. It's called a Judaizer. I don't meet a lot of Judaizers. He's the only one. You probably haven't met one. That's okay. But the spirit, the line of thinking underneath that, it's all over the church. The idea that by following the right rules, by doing the right things, by behaving the right way, I can please God, runs rampant in churches all across the world. 
You all certainly met people who have said, I can please God by following rules. It's called legalism. We've talked about this before. But the legalist is convinced that their actions and their behavior are the determining factor in whether or not God loves them. And this belief leads them to obsess over rules and regulation above and over everything else. But the Bible tells a different story, doesn't it? The Bible tells us that Jesus' death on the cross is the determining factor in God's love for us, not our ability to follow rules. In fact, Jesus had to go to the cross because we could not follow the rules. We don't have to hope that God loves us if we do enough. We can know that God loves us because Jesus died for us. And so Paul says Christian maturity doesn't have anything to do with the law. It doesn't have anything to do with following rules. So we ask again, how do we become mature Christians? And I'll tell you this, it's not through experiences either. It's not through experiences. Look at verse 18. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So the second way people in Colossae at this time were purporting to have more access to God or to be connecting with God on a deeper level, to be closer to God, is they're saying we're having these spiritual experiences. And we don't get a lot of details. We get some hints here in the text about what they look like. But people are having these spiritual experiences with God. He talks about asceticism, which is basically just like extreme self-denial or like hardcore fasting from different things, right? And it seems like these, this asceticism was basically leading to some kind of visions or worship experiences, depending on how you translate this phrase, worship of angels or worship with angels. The translators can go back and forth on that either way. It's an odd deal that the angels are showing up and the worship experiences, and, it's, and people are saying, man, I just saw this amazing thing. It was incredible. And so people are talking about this. They're sharing the experiences they've had and what, what they've seen and what they've felt. And as they do that, the people around them who haven't seen and felt those things are going, eh, I guess I don't really measure up. I'm not really probably that good of a Christian after all. I don't really have visions. No angel showed up when I was worshiping. That kind of can lead to this defeatist attitude. What's likely happening here is a merging of a local Greek pagan temple ritual with Christianity. Again, just trying to merge two religions together. But the Bible says that none of those things, no kind of experience, no kind of vision, no kind of self-denial, none of those things get you to God. In fact, Paul has some harsh words for people who say that it does. He says they're puffed up without reason. In other words, they're proud of this higher level of spirituality that they seem to have tapped into they're proud of the fact that they seem to be closer to God than other people. Paul says there's nothing to be proud of because these so-called religious experiences don't get them any closer to God than they already are. And again, we don't see a lot of Greek cultic religion being deliberately incorporated into the Christian faith here in Jacksonville. If you do meet someone that's trying to do that, I'd love to meet them and hear how they came up with the idea. But again, the spirit of this that runs underneath this is very present. It's very present wherever you find Christians. You might hear someone say, I got carried away in worship today. Have you remember somebody said that? And you're thinking, man, I didn't. I enjoyed the, the music. It was fantastic. I thought the words were biblical and, and, and true, and so I sang them with all my heart, and I, I believed them when I sang them, and I really enjoyed worshiping the Lord through song today, but I never left the room, right? I was still here. I got carried away. This guy got carried away. Okay. Maybe you've heard someone tell you, 
God spoke, God spoke to me about this. Or the Lord said this to me, or I heard the Lord speak this to me. You're going, man, I've never, I never heard the Lord say anything to me. Man, that sounds awesome. I mean, I read my Bible this morning. I, I learned a little bit more about the Lord through that, and it was encouraging. I didn't feel anything. I didn't hear anything when that happened. This person must be really close to God, and I'm probably not. Maybe someone's told you of how hardcore they are in their Christian faith, and they'll tell you, I don't have a TV in my home because it, it gets in the way of my relationship with God, and I don't want anything to get in the way of my relationship with God, which is a fine thing if that's your approach. I have no issue with that. But you're thinking, man, I, I got a TV. Gosh, I like to watch the Jags on Sunday. They're good all of a sudden, and you know, I'd like to tune in. You know, after a long week of work, my wife and I, we, we enjoy a show, and we watch an episode or two together on the weekends. I guess that guy's better Christian than I am. You see how this, how this works? There can be this kind of comparison game that happens. By the way, people go about their Christian faith, and it can make you go, I don't measure up. In high school, I was connected to a charismatic church, not crazy, crazy, right? Nobody running the aisles, but you know, believed in speaking in tongues and prophecy and all this kind of stuff. And speaking in tongues, if you're uninitiated, you should stay uninitiated, but speaking in tongues is basically kind of a, uh, the Bible will call it like a prayer language where you speak in a language that you don't understand and you speak directly to God, right? Without getting into the theology of that, we don't have time. I know you want me to. We're not going to do that today. Come find me after church. But in this church, there was something they did, and our church is not something we do. Uh, in this church, there was something they did, and I just thought, man, these people that could speak in tongues were so spiritual. I want to be just like them, and I would ask the Lord to give me that gift and, and pray, and I would, I would work as hard as I could to be the best Christian I could so the Lord would give me this kind of connection with him so I could get closer to them because they seemed so close to God, and I didn't feel as close to God as it appeared that they were. It was so frustrating. The Lord never seemed to give me this thing that I desired, that they had. And I felt defeated. I felt not good enough. I felt like I didn't measure up. And I wish in that season of my life someone would have Turn me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 23, and says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you for this stuff. Don't let that get you down. Don't let that be your yardstick, your measuring stick. Paul's instruction to us is don't let anyone make you feel less than because you don't follow the extra laws that they've come up with or you don't have the spiritual experiences that they've come up with. I want to be clear, I'm not against following rules. I'm not against living the way the Lord calls you to live. The Bible has a very clear standard for how we're to live, and that God, God calls us out of the love that we have for Jesus to follow it. I want to be clear, you can have special, unique experiences with God, and I pray that you have them. Our, our students just got back from camp. They, we often talk about the youth group camp mountaintop experience, right? Where putting away the distractions of our life and focusing entirely on Jesus helps us feel connected to him in a way that we don't usually. That's good. I'm here for it. But I don't want us to believe that if we're not feeling that way or if we're not doing the extra rules that the, God, the Bible hasn't asked us to do, I don't want us to feel like we're not measuring up. Before we ask the third question about how we become mature in Christ, I, I think it's worth exploring for a minute. Why is it that we're drawn to this? Why is it that we have a natural propensity towards legalism, towards earning our way to, to, to heaven or to God? Why is it that we have a natural propensity towards these spiritual experiences and wanting more out of our Christian faith than we're actually getting? I think there's probably two ways. Number one is we can feel those things. We can feel those things. When you deny yourself something, when you don't do something that you want to do, 
Even if the Bible doesn't tell you to deny it, but you deny it anyways, you can feel the sense of accomplishment. It's like, oh, I did it. I wanted something, I said no. You string two or three of those together, next thing you start to feel pretty proud of yourself. I can feel like I'm doing this. It's making progress. I can see a clear change. And we want so desperately to feel like we're getting better, like we're maturing. And I think another reason is, is because we know others can see these things in us. We know others can see how much we obey, how good we are, how well-behaved we are, how much we have our life together, or how spiritual we are, or, or how, you know, whatever. We know other people are watching, or maybe we're telling other people about it, and it makes us feel good because people can see them. But here's the thing. No amount of rule-following or spiritual experiences can get us closer to God. And the reason is, is because we already are as close to the Lord as we can be. Let me show you this. Only through Christ. Here's the question we're trying to answer. Only through Christ is the answer to the question. How do we become mature believers? Only through Christ. Verse 19, he says, don't, don't, do what these other people are doing, but instead, in verse 19, he says, not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. He says, he says growth, maturity, spiritual maturity, it doesn't happen through worship experiences. It doesn't happen through rule following. It happens through clinging to Jesus. To focusing on Christ. And we've said this over and over again. This is the whole idea behind the book of Colossians is that we would keep our eyes and our heart and our mind steadied on Jesus. And in doing that, growth comes. Gospel teaches that because we are in Christ, we belong to the family of God. The Bible says that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We are in the family, right? We're in right now. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are in. Bible also teaches this, that when you put your faith in Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus, God places his spirit inside of you. Let me tell you, you can't get any closer to God than that. He's in you. He dwells within you, the Bible said, even in this very moment. There's nowhere left to go. There's no closer to get. And so Paul says, just hold on to that. Don't go looking for other stuff. Just hold on to that. You've got it all. You've achieved it. You've reached it. Jesus did it for you. And so don't let anything, philosophies, legalists, mystics, the world around you, distractions, whatever, don't let anything distract you from Christ. Paul here calls Jesus the head, and he uses that phrase in other parts of the Bible, and he's talking about the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church, the Bible says. You think about how a head functions in a body, right? Where the head goes, the body goes. You can't pull your head this way and hope your body goes that way. The Bible, the head is also kind of the command center for our bodies, right? It tells them what to do, and you've got neurons firing, and some of you guys understand how this works. I do not understand how this works. But you have stuff that's just, my brain right now is telling my mouth to move, and my hands to move, and my eyes to move, to watch the clock get you out of here on time. Like, and my brain is doing all of these things. It's guiding my body. The body cannot function without a head. And Paul is saying here, by being connected to Jesus and connected to each other, that's how we grow. Being a part of the body of Christ is essential. The growth comes from God. The maturity comes from God. It's not manufactured through your rule following. It's not manufactured through spiritual experiences. It's just being connected to Christ. And here's the thing about maturity, growth and maturity God's way, is it's longer and slower than we want it to be. I don't know about you, but I wish I was more spiritually mature than I am. I wish I was growing faster than I am. 
I want to stir it up. I want to make it go. I want to manufacture it. I want to feel like it's working. And God says, hey, slow down. I just want you to walk with me. There's a book on discipleship that I really love, and the the title of the book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I think that's a great way to describe what walking with Jesus is, what discipleship is, what spiritual growth is. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It's not glamorous. It's not mountaintops. It's just day by day, faithful living. Church, Christianity is not a ladder that we climb, but rather a path that we walk. There's no next level of spirituality to get to. Can you know God more? Absolutely, and let's do it together. Can you love God more? Absolutely, as we push bad loves out of our lives, new loves fill our heart, and we can fill it with Jesus. Yep. But can you get closer to God than you are right now as a believer? No, you cannot. All we can do is walk day by day by day, holding fast to the head, holding fast to Christ. Instead of grand actions, it's daily faithfulness. Instead of supernatural experiences, it's ordinary life as a Christian. And so if we want to be mature as believers, I would encourage us, let's not find as many rules as we can to follow, but instead, let's just be faithful to walk with Jesus tomorrow. If we want to be mature as Christians, let's don't be constantly looking for that next mountaintop high. We'll be grateful if they come, but we're not going to go create it or seek it out. Let's be faithful tomorrow in the ordinary lives that God's called us to live. So what do we do with this? Look at verse 23 as we close. Last thing. He says this. He says, these things, these experiences or legalism have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, severity to the body. But, he says, they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, Paul says, hey, these things look religious, but they do not lead to life change. They look religious, but they don't lead to life change. Instead, Paul says, the only thing that leads to life change is clinging to Christ. So what do we do with this information? Church, what do we do tomorrow when we wake up? How do we live differently? I think the first thing I would ask you to do is evaluate with me if you've been trying to reach God some other way. Are you a person who has believed that God will stop loving you if you make a mistake, if you don't follow a rule or a law? I want to encourage you to remember that God loved you when you were a sinner. So no matter of rule following is going to make, you, make him love you more. He's going to love you no matter what. Are you someone that believes that what people need to do most is live correctly and follow the rules and get in line? I want to encourage you and remind you, the Bible teaches that what people need most is to put their faith in Jesus for salvation. If you're a person that decides how well you're doing spiritually, how close you are to God, but how much you feel God, let me remind you that he's there even when you don't feel him. There's no amount of actions or activity that can get you closer to him. So let's repent, church, of those ways of finding God, making God love us more, and instead cling to Christ. The task for us, this is the most unglamorous application ever, but the task is tomorrow is to wake up and walk with the Lord. It's tomorrow, wake up and open your Bible when you get up, even if you only have three minutes because you overslept, who cares? Open your Bible and read it, knowing it's not going to make God love you more, but you're just doing it because you want to know him. Spend time praying, knowing that God doesn't, doesn't necessarily every time meet us in some way that gives us all the feels when we pray, but just because God's called us to and we want to walk with him. 
Go about your day with faithfulness to Jesus, living the way he's called you to live, not to earn his love, but because you already have it. Parenting well, loving your family, providing for those that God's given you to provide for, doing your job with excellence, not to earn God's love, not to experience the the feelings that God might give you, but because God has been faithful to you, so you're going to be faithful to him. And then our task is to repeat that the next day, and the next day, and the next day until Jesus returns. And in so doing, in living that long obedience in the same direction, the end result will be we will be mature believers walking with Christ. It's a slow journey, but it's worth it. There are no shortcuts to this. But the beauty is this, there's also no pressure to this as well. Jesus has accomplished it all for us on the cross, and so we can rest in him, cling to him, pursue him, and in that become the kind of people that God calls us to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that we find in it. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us with it if we need to be challenged. But God... This morning, I pray that you would encourage us. If there's someone here today who is beaten up and downtrodden and feeling insufficient or inadequate or not good enough, Lord, would you help us to remember that we all are inadequate and insufficient and not good enough. But Lord, you, through Christ, are adequate and sufficient and good enough on our behalf. Would you remind us that by putting our faith in you, we have all that we need for life and godliness. And that our task is to walk with you day by day. And so, Lord, would you take the pressure off, but also, God, stir up in our heart affection and love for you, for what you've done for us on the cross, and help that to motivate us to live the way you called us to live, to worship you in spirit and in truth, and to walk faithfully with you day by day. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.